Well, we are wrapping up this series that we've been in the last several weeks, uh, One Week to Live, sort of looking at this last week of Jesus before he offered up his life. And so each week has kind of been one of the days of the week, and we decided to take Friday and split it into two days because there are so many really significant and important events that happened. So last week, Pastor Roy was talking about Peter and, and that he failed Jesus when he betrayed him. And, and so this week, we're talking about, you know, Forsaken Friday the things that Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross. And so, but just to give a little bit of context, kind of where things are at, where the events have taken place uh, and where we're at right now before we jump in. So Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, having dinner, breaking bread, and Judas, one of his followers, gets up and leaves and he goes to the religious elite who were seeking Jesus' life, and he, uh, he was offered money to give Jesus' location. And so he brings them to Jesus and uh, betrays G- Jesus with a kiss. He told them, he said, the one that I kiss is the one that you're looking for. And so he walks up, and he gives Jesus a kiss. They arrest him, and they take him off, and they begin this counsel process, this interrogation of Jesus. And, and it's important to understand uh, how this council worked because they lived, their society, their culture was religious. It was a religious culture. That, that's what they did. It was a normative thing. And so they had these sort of elite of the elite lead this council. And it was basically a mock trial where they had false witnesses coming in and asking, you know, telling statements, giving statements and making up just stuff. And, and Jesus doesn't respond or answer to any of it until one question is asked and he gives an answer. And that's kind of where we're going to pick it up. He's standing before this religious council and here's what's happening. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and he made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, what further witnesses do you need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Here's the ironic part of this. They're not willing to kill him. They want him to die, but they're not willing to get his blood on their hands because their law says thou shalt not murder. And so they take him, they take him over to Pilate, the governor of the area, because it was Roman controlled. And and they say, this guy needs to die. Crucify him. So Pilate brings him in and basically asks him a handful of questions. And he's like, he comes back out and he's like, I I don't find any guilt with this guy. What, What are you guys talking about? And they said, no, 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 no. He's guilty. He's blasphemed our God. He needs to die. And so Pilate, against his own will, but because he was afraid of the mob, agreed to have Jesus crucified. And here's the ironic thing, in in, in exchange for a murderer, they let a murderer go, this this time of the year, this celebration they were having, uh, it was a seasonal thing, and they would often allow uh, a prisoner to go. And so they said, give us Barabbas, he was a murderer, in place of crucifying Jesus, an innocent man, not deserving death. So they take Jesus. They, the Bible uses the word scourge. They scourge him. Um, they whip his back. 
with a cat of nine tails that would literally rip the flesh off of his back. They took a, a thorns from a, a bush. These thorns are about that long and they weaved this crown together and they smashed it onto his head and they would take these batons and, and, and smack it to make these thorns dig into his scalp. They would spit at him, they would hit him, mock him, and they ultimately led him to a place called the skull where they drove nails through his wrists and through his feet. Now, this is just a little four-inch nail. They would have used something much bigger, but even this just makes me cringe at the thought of that driving through my wrist into a piece of wood. Then they would put his feet together and one would go both through both feet. It's a great start to a message, right? right? <laughs> but it is a very somber moment. It is. And it's hard to process that this God of ours, Jesus, God in the flesh, the personification of who God is, would allow this to happen. But what I want to focus on today, there's a couple of things that Jesus said while he was on the cross, while he's hanging by nails, beaten and battered and tortured, barely recognizable. There's a few things he said that I want to focus on today. And the first one, I just, I I, it's hard to process these words that he would choose to say while hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them. What? They don't know what they're doing. And it's funny because it's, it's the religious elite, the people who, who know this book backwards and forwards that are the ones condemning him, the ones that want to see him die. And, and yet he's saying, they don't know what they're doing. Because in their mind, what they're doing is the right thing. This man has, has blasphemed the name of God and deserves death. And, and so they think they're doing the right thing. And, and here is God in the flesh hanging on a tree saying that they, they've lost their way. God, would you forgive them? So under this context of Father, forgive them, Jesus, in his most agonizing moment, both physically and spiritually, which we're going to get to in a sec, he's asking for the ones causing the pain to be forgiven. And I wonder as sort of a takeaway, right? If we're choosing to model our lives after Jesus, follow the example that he set for us, have this relationship with God like he did, if that's something that we can choose to do. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, I wouldn't recommend saying this to somebody who's offended you. Father, forgive them. They clearly don't know what they're doing. You might, never mind. <laughs> don't be, you don't have to be salty about it. Clearly, you don't know what you're doing. So I'm going to ask God to forgive you. Uh, you're being an idiot right now. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Another thing to consider is, with these words, Father, forgive them, while he's hanging, who is he influencing 
Who's standing by and watching? You had the, the religious elite. They would have been shocked to hear these words. You also have his followers, his people, his community standing there watching him. And, and what example is he setting for his own friends, right? The innocent dying and suffering and yet in his last moments offering forgiveness. It, it, it doesn't make sense. How quick are you to forgive? Particularly in your moments of of worst pain, right? Now make no mistake, the word forgive doesn't mean to forget. The word forgive means to let go of, to release. To release the the angst and and the uh, the burden that you've been holding over this person's life. And, And I know you may say, yeah, but you don't know what's been done to me. I know. But, but I do know what's been done to Jesus, a completely innocent man. You don't know the, the trauma that's been caused in my life. You don't know what that person did or said. I know. And again, I'm not asking you. Jesus isn't asking you to forget. He's asking you to let go. Let go of that, that noose that you're holding onto around their neck. He's extending the same forgiveness to each and every one of us. So we have to do the same. And I know that's not easy. I know it. And I'll be honest, my first reaction when something bad happens to me isn't like, well, I forgive you. (laughs) No, I get bitter. I get resentful. Because what that person did stings. I don't like the way that it feels. It caused pain in my life. But like Cassidy's story that we heard, right? She allowed that pain to change her perspective. She allowed God to use it to do something. So while he's hanging on this cross, there's two other crosses on either side of him with thieves hanging from them, both who deserved the crucifixion that they were experiencing. They broke the law, they got caught. This is the, the punishment they deserved. And, and it's funny because while on the cross, they're, they're mocking Jesus as well. And one of them's like, hey, if you're really the God that you say that you are, why don't you just get yourself off? Like, take, take yourself down off of this cross. Like, you have the ability to do that, right? Why don't you? In fact, when, when Jesus was getting arrested, um, Peter comes up and he pulls out his sword. You're not going to take my buddy. And he ah, and take, chops off one of the ears of the guards. And Jesus says, no, 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 stop. And talking to his disciples, he says, Don't, do you not realize that in a moment's notice, I could call down 12 legions of angels? Now, a, a legion was about 6,000 uh, Roman soldiers. And so Jesus is like, in a moment's notice, I could call down 72... 72,000, I had to make sure my math was right, 72,000 angels. I could do that right now, but I'm choosing not to because this is what needs to happen. So he's next to these, these two thieves, these criminals. And this is one of the next things that I want to look at that Jesus said because one of them says this. 
He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus said to him, truly, meaning you can trust what I'm going to say. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and this, one is, this one is difficult because when you think about, and putting that into our modern context, when you think about some of the people out there and the atrocities that they've, the crimes they've committed, the things they've done, it's like, wait a minute, how does this guy just get a free pass after a life of, of, of sin? Is he not worthy of God's grace too? Because I bet every single person in this room will say, well, you know, I, I know I don't deserve it, but I've been kind of a good person. Like, I know the word, you know, everyone says, I don't deserve God's grace, but we just saying that, right? There's nothing I've done to earn it. I don't, I don't deserve it. But, but if you really truly ap- apply this, that, that applies to this, this criminal. And it doesn't make sense. I know that it doesn't make sense. But Jesus says, today, today, after you take your last breath, you will be with me in paradise. In our worst moment, this criminal is, is, is paying the price for the crime that he broke, right? The, the law that he broke. He's paying the price. And in his worst moment, Jesus' grace extends to us, to every single one of us, when we simply try really, really hard I'm going to church every single Sunday this year. I'm going to give so much money. When we believe. Wrapping our heads around that is hard. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like how, it, it seems too easy. You know what Jesus doesn't say? to the criminal who's asking for grace? No, dummy, it doesn't work that way. You gotta earn it. He could have. But that's not the way our God works. He wants your heart. And all you have to do to receive this incredible gift of grace is simply believe it. How quick are you to extend grace? When somebody's gossiped about you, when somebody's slandered your name, when somebody's posted something about you on social media or whatever, how quick are you to extend grace to that person? Because this right here is what our Jesus did for us. In fact, the the Bible in Ephesians, it says, when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in the worst of our sin, that's what Jesus offered up his life for. There's a a pastor, his name is Max Lucado, and he's written a ton of books. He's an author, he's a pastor. Uh, He wrote this book called uh, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. And and sort of capturing this moment, this idea of this this criminal who, who, in his last moment, he gets in by the, by the skin of his teeth. I mean, he, he barely makes it, but he made it. Max Lucado wrote this. He says, And it also makes me smile to think that there is an ex-con walking the golden streets who knows more about grace than a thousand theologians. 
No one else would have given him a prayer. But in the end, that is all that he had. And in the end, that is all it took. No wonder they call him the Savior. There's another pastor. His name is uh, Alistair Begg. And he, uh, he's got a radio show. He's, he's back in Chicago, I believe. And um, one, of, one of his sermons he gave about what happened on the cross in this moment, especially about this thief on the cross. He, uh, and it's a video that's gone viral. You may have seen it. Um, he's, he's capturing this moment, trying to picture this, this moment for this, for this thief, this criminal, who's now been accepted in, into paradise, into heaven, and, and trying to wrap around what this would look like. Check out this video. Hey, think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Think I'll get the supervisor angel. So we have just a few questions for you, first of all. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. I've watched that clip a million times and it, it, it makes me emotional every time I see it because it's as simple as that. The man in the middle cross, he said I could be here. That grace, that gift has been extended to every single one of us. And yet we're so quick to forget about it. We're so quick to set it aside and and. and either beat ourselves up for not being good enough or abuse it to death by choosing to live certain ways. There's one more statement that Jesus made and probably the, the, the heftiest one because there's a lot of depth to it. And I, I mean, I could, I could spend a month doing a sermon series just on this one line. Um, but as... Jesus is hanging there on the cross, nails through his hands and his feet, the thorns still pushing in on his scalp, his marred up back rubbing against the plank of wood, slowly suffocating as he's hanging there because he can't support himself. Something happens in this moment, and this is sort of the, the pinnacle, the peak of, of, of what Jesus is doing. Because in this moment, he is now taking on all, all of the sin, all of it, of the entire world. 
the lie that you told, the person you gossiped about, that man or woman that you lusted in your heart after, the adultery that's been committed, the harmful things and the hurtful things that you've said. He's taking all of that on. And for the first time ever, he's experiencing a a separation from God that he has never experienced before. And it's literally crushing his heart. In Mark 15, verses 33 and 34, it says this. And when the sixth hour had come, it's about noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a lot of us assume that God is sort of doing this, turning his back to Jesus. But he's not. This was part of, this was part of the plan to begin with. And so if it's part of his plan, he wouldn't be turning his back. What is happening is that Jesus is now taking on our sin. And because he is taking on our sin, there is now a separation happening between him and God. Jesus, who has only, only ever known perfect harmony and and, and union with God. We use this word called the Trinity, right? He is part of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equal God in one, but yet three distinct persons. And and, and so for the first time ever, he's experiencing this separation from, from perfect relationship with God. He's never known this before, and, and, and it's breaking his heart. It's it's important to understand what's happening right now in this moment. It was more than he could take. You know, up, up until this point, he hasn't really responded or retaliated or, or cried out for vindication or, or made much fuss. But here in this moment, realizing that the weight of all of our sin being placed upon his shoulders and this separation now happening between him and God, it was too much. And he cries out, my God. for the first time feeling abandonment and isolation ever. It was more than he could take. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this, for our sake, for you and for me, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. He made him become sin who knew no sin. He's never known sin his entire life. And now he's just become all of it. So that in him, when we believe, we might become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness means to be made right with. We get to embrace a perfect relationship with God. The same way that Jesus did, we now get this free gift in him. 
because he was willing in that moment to take on all the sin, to take on all of our muck and our mistakes and the ridiculous, stupid things that we say and do. I mean, he took on all of it. And in this moment of a heartbroken separation, he's crying out. There was a couple of um, celebrations this time of year that, that they would go through. One of them, or not this time of year, but one of them at this time was Passover. In fact, this day that Jesus is being crucified was the beginning of the Passover celebration where they would remember what happened in Egypt. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians and God sent in Moses to to free his people and, and there were 10 plagues that went along with it because Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wouldn't let go. And so God finally said, okay, this one's gonna hurt, but it's time for my people to be set free. And so he told the people, I need you to go take a a male unblemished lamb and sacrifice it and take its innocent blood and put it on your doorposts of your home because I'm going to cause death to happen. I'm going to cause the firstborn of this entire area to die. But if you have the, the blood of this innocent lamb covering your home, then death will pass over you. And here Jesus is hanging on a cross, this innocent lamb, so that in him, the the judgment of our sins and our mistakes will pass over us. But there's another celebration that they have. It was one of the really important ones. It was called the Day of Atonement. And this was something God uh, initiated with his people back when they were in the desert. They had already left Egypt, but he had given specific instructions. I want you to build this this tent, this tabernacle, where I will be, where you can worship me, where you can offer up sacrifices. Because until Jesus, they had to offer a sacrifice. Innocent blood had to be poured out so that their sins would be temporarily covered. But there's one special one called the Day of Atonement, where, where the sins of the entire community, all of the people, would be removed. And it would only happen once a year. The high priest was given very specific instructions. He was to take a, a, a bull and he was to hold his hand over its head and slit its throat and take the blood, this innocent blood, and go into this place called the Holy of Holies where God, his presence existed. And the high priest was only allowed to go in there this one time a year. And he would sprinkle this blood on this place called the mercy seat. That bull's sacrifice was simply to cover the high priest to allow him to perform the next sacrifice. He was to take two goats. One goat represented the blood that it shed, represented the the, the forgiveness of sins for all of the people. But the second goat, the second goat was for celebration. Because here's what happened. Check this out. This is from Leviticus. And Aaron, he was the high priest, shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all of their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness." 
so here the, the people are seeing, they're given this example, two displays happening, right? There's the sacrifice that's been made. This goat's life, this little innocent animal, his blood is, is covering their sins and offering forgiveness for the entire community. And yet, and now as an example to see, to visualize what's happening, the high priest would lay both his hands on the goat's head and, and speak all of the sins of all of the people in the community. And then they would send that goat out into the wilderness to be alone, bearing the, the sin of all the people. And the people would celebrate and rejoice because the goat has left. Jesus is hanging on this cross, putting on display the Passover, putting on display the Day of Atonement sacrifice because in this moment, he is more alone and isolated than he has ever experienced because of this separation now caused because of the sin that he's taking on. In Jesus' greatest moment of hurt, heartache, and agony, what does he do? He turns to Scripture. This, this my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was a song. It was from the, it was from the book of Psalms that David wrote. And if, so if, if, I were to, if I were to sing a few lyrics of a song, if I were to say, don't stop. Oh, you guys know that song. It's, it's the exact same thing that happened in this moment. Because here, who, remember, who's watching? Who's standing by? All of the religious elite who have this book practically memorized word for word, and they would have known this song. So when Jesus is up there saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, he's crying out from a broken heart, but it also means something else. These people know the words to this song, and this song ends in victory. Psalm 22 begins with heartache and sorrow, but it ends in vindication and triumph and all the people of the world will know the name of God. This moment was bigger than his temporary pain. And, and, and I have to ask, how, how many of us, when something tragic happens in our life or something, somebody does something to offend us and we're just bitter and hurt and broken, is it our first response to, to crack open this book to, to see what God would have for us? No, typically it's to text or call up your friend and cuss out the person that just offended you. And yet here Jesus is putting on this perfect example for us. In his worst, most agonizing moment, taking on the weight of all sin, being brutalized. I can't even imagine the amount of physical pain this man is in. And what does he do? He starts quoting scripture. Peter, who we had talked about, had denied Jesus, who Jesus also gave an opportunity of redemption. The same Peter who the dude said some funny stuff, like just didn't think about what he's talking about. And yet he's the one that Jesus said, hey, on, on your shoulders, I'm going to build the church. And so in one of his letters, he, he captures everything that Jesus is doing right here in this moment. He says, for to this, you, you and I, 
have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, God, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness, have this right with relationship with God, this perfect union with God. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus offering and things that we can emulate, three things. Forgiveness, grace, and trusting Scripture. And do you know what it cost? The expense of being able to receive grace, the expense of being able to receive forgiveness, the ability to be able to turn to Scripture, the ability to have this perfect relationship with God. It cost three nails. He cost a crown of thorns. It cost being brutalized and, and beaten to the point where he was hardly recognizable. Being spit on, being mocked and laughed at. That's what it costs. So what are we doing with it? It's agonizing to think about the price he paid. But the question we have to apply to ourselves is, so, so what are we doing with these things? These are things that we can start practicing and doing today, even right here in this moment. We can start letting go of the hurt and the pain that's been done to us and offer forgiveness. We can start extending grace to the people who would choose to offend us. And we can turn to Scripture when our lives feel like they're falling apart. Jesus embraced agony, isolation, abandonment, and the weight of all sin so that we could be at one with God our Father. That's what's happening on the cross when Jesus is hanging there in this moment. So what are we going to do with this gift that we've been given? Are we going to walk out those doors and throw it aside and continue living the way that we always do? That's called cheap grace. I don't want to live in cheap grace. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, we thank you. And even the words thank you just seem so trite when we consider the price that you paid so that we could experience your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you for this example to model after, not, not to, to live out perfectly because we know we never can. 
but that we can, we can focus our lives, that we can zero in our lives on the way that you lived, how you acted and how you responded in your worst, most hurtful, painful moment. May we learn how you responded and start living our lives that way, offering grace, offering forgiveness, turning to scripture when our lives are in shambles the way that you did. And maybe there are some in this room or watching online who have never made that choice to simply believe. And I want to offer you that opportunity right now because all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I choose to believe in you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that I am forgiven because of your sacrifice. I believe there's nothing I could do to merit or to earn enough of your grace, but that you give it freely and that it is in your name and your name alone salvation is found. Today I choose you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us beyond how we could ever begin to comprehend. We say all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, really quick, if that is a decision you made, uh, we would love to, to go on that journey with you. If you just text the word trust to that number, if you chose to place your faith in Jesus today, text that word. We'd love to get some, some materials into your hand to help you start this relationship with, with Jesus. If you have any prayer or uh, would like to speak with anybody, we have our meet and greet room over here. We'd love to chat with you. Uh, be blessed. Have a great day. We'll see you next time.